Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 17 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. Today we continue our journey with Siobhan Huggins and hear more about what she's been working on and where she's going with this. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Siobhan, Louise? Siobhan Huggins is an independent researcher focused on the science of keto, carnivory, inflammation, insulin resistance and how they all interact with each other. Over the past four years, she's lost 80 pounds, which is 36 kilos or five and a half stone, put chronic depression into remission and made numerous health improvements, all from going on a ketogenic and eventually a carnivorous diet. She hopes to continue learning the science so she can share it with others in the hopes of a better understanding why ketogenic and carnivorous diets appear to work for improving so many conditions and why people sometimes struggle even when implementing these dietary strategies and doing everything right, in inverted commas. She is on the board of the Citizen Science Foundation and is a frequent contributor to thecholesterolcode.com where she posts on topics like lipids, immunology, heart disease and inflammation, as well as the results of her self-experiments with diet. Welcome back, Siobhan. We're going to carry on with our interview and find out some more interesting information from you. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. So at some point you changed your way of eating from keto to carnivore. Tell us how you got there and and why you've stayed. Yeah, so this actually ties back to KetoFest again. (laughs) It is where all roads meet, apparently. Um, And that's because I saw a presentation from Amber O'Hearn, who is now my housemate, and she was talking about, you know, carnivorous diets and human beings and how this may have been how we originally evolved way, way, way back when, um, when we were first growing our big brains and all that type of stuff. And it got me thinking, okay, maybe I should only eat vegetables that I really enjoy. (laughs) And so I started slowly, you know, slowly lowering the amount of vegetables I was eating. And I wasn't really eating much fruit in the first place. And eventually I was just having like a little bit of vegetable with every meal, but not very much of it. And sometimes I would have no vegetables with my meal. I was like, maybe this is fine. And then um, I was working, kind of volunteering with Dave at that point. And I was like, you know, a month of carnivore might be kind of an interesting experiment. (laughs) Like, I'll do it for a month and I'll get blood work or whatever. It'll be fun. It'll be great. Um, So I did that. And the data was kind of confounded because I got sick with an office bug at that time. But, I mean, I did do the month of carnivory. And one thing that kind of makes me weird, apparently, is, you know, with a standard American diet and even keto, I would see people eating food and they'd very clearly be heavily enjoying it like oh this is so good this is awesome like this is giving me goosebumps type of thing and I always thought they were exaggerating because I'd never actually experienced that and you know it wasn't until a couple weeks into carnivore where I was like wait wait this is what people were talking about because I was starting to get actually excited for my meals I was extremely happy when eating You know, it was just pork chops and cream cheese at that point. But I started getting goosebumps. I started, I don't know, it was like my entire perspective on food changed. 
And at the following year's Keto Fest, I was eating kind of what everyone else was. So, you know, fathead pizza sort of thing. And it was, and immediately, like, a switch had flipped in my head and it was back to, you know, being able to objectively be like, this food tastes good, but there was no physical pleasure from eating. And <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I think I'll stick with carnivore because I like to enjoy things. I think enjoying food is an important thing. And then the other thing is I had some additional weight loss from it, uh, which was nice. I think I started at like 165 and I went down to 145 or something. Not over the course of a month, but over the course of multiple months. Um, so there was that. And then it made my life so much simpler. At the time, I was basically working two full-time jobs. I had no time for anything. It's like, oh my god, where can I save time? Oh, cooking. Okay, I'll just throw sausages in a pan and they're cooked and I'll eat that. Okay, I'm done with eating. Time to get back to work. Mm. <laughs> and so there were just so many aspects of it that was like improved over what I had been doing. Food enjoyment was higher. The time spent cooking and eating was so much lower. But when I was doing that, I was enjoying it much more. I was losing additional weight, which I took as a good sign. Um, I felt great. I had lots of energy. And yeah, so that's ultimately why I went carnivore and why I stuck with it, because it was just, I enjoyed it more and I had improvement. Um, I haven't been totally carnivore since, let's see, that would have been 2017, because I have done experiments with Dave where it's like, okay, I'm going to be eating this ketogenic shake, so I'm completely controlled for diet. Or at one point I did a high carb, low fat experiment. We can talk about that. Yeah, let's. <laughs> So with that one, I was again trying to replicate an experiment that Dave had done. He had done a white bread and lean meat experiment and had dropped his cholesterol super duper low. But one thing that I found when I was doing all these replications of his experiments is I had an additional marker that was measurable in me, but it wasn't measurable in him. And that was lipoprotein little a. So this is another lipoprotein, but it has an extra little signaling protein on it. And high levels are you know, associated with cardiovascular risk and all this type of stuff. But the levels are supposed to be almost entirely determined by genetic levels. So you inherit it from both your parents, you get a combo of that, and that's your level and that's that. Hmm. But throughout doing these experiments, I found that, yes, I did have this very clear baseline and I had both my parents tested and the levels that I have appear to be coming from mom's side. But when I was doing, you know, this fasting and then this really high calorie or going from baseline to really high calorie, or like all this stuff, it was moving a lot. Like during one point I had a 65% drop and this is supposed to be like that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> and that happened in the space of like five days or something. And it's like, okay. So we do have this genetic baseline, it seems, but we're also seeing this metabolic influence. And another thing that can influence lipoprotein little a levels is inflammation. Hmm. Um, so it's what's called an acute phase reactant, which is where something goes up from a sudden inflammatory event. So you have inflammatory signaling and more of it will be produced and released into the system and you'll see levels go up. And I've actually seen this in my own blood work because whenever I get any type of illness... Um, this would also include physical injuries, you know, on the level of breaking a leg or something, but that hasn't happened yet. I immediately go and get blood work done. <laughs> and lo and behold, every time I got, you know, a cold or a fever or whatever it was, um, lipoprotein little a would go way up. And it's like, okay. And it was, it was going up at the same time other inflammatory markers were going up. So it was kind of going up in tandem and this chorus of inflammation and then as soon as I got better drop back down to my baseline and normalize so with the experiment that Dave had done with the white bread and lean meat he had seen his LDL level go really 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 low uh, which kind of fits with the lipid energy model because instead of relying on fat you're relying more on glucose for fuel and then there's no you know not as much reliance on the VLDL to transport so potentially less resulting LDL. I was like, okay, I want to do that. I'm not eating bread. <laughs> because the number one rule for Dave and I for any experiment is safety comes first. And I was like, mental health is also a part of safety. And I know I don't do well with bread, um, at least 
you know, white Wonder Bread kind of stuff. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to formulate it, so I feel it'll probably be pretty safe. And so I was uh, black beans, some spices, which was garlic powder and cumin, um, just to make it palatable, lean chicken breast, and eventually I added bananas and honey because I figured uh, fruit and even in carnivores, honey seemed kind of well tolerated. So I was like, this this is going to be fine. Uh, it wasn't fine. <laughs> So that was an eight-day experiment. The first three days was just my normal level of calories, about 1,700 calories per day. I don't remember exactly the level of carb, but it was extremely low fat. And I think it was like 15% protein, so a lot of carbs. And then the following five days after that was double my normal calories, high carb, low fat. And that was, I think, like 400 grams of net carbs or something like that. Not, so during the eight days of the experiment, um, I started realizing I was getting really lethargic. Like I had to take naps during the day. Um, I was more irritable. I was having trouble concentrating. And then um, the bulk of what was what I saw was actually after the experiment, to where for two months after my mood was completely messed up. It was. You know, I would randomly start crying for no reason, um, super irritable, just really self-critical, and it wasn't it wasn't normal for me. Like, I have this history of depression, and then I have carnivore, where my mood was just, you know, bursting at the seams so great, and then I start having this, you know, mood issues again, and it was for two months after the experiment, and... Sometimes in that situation, like say you you decide to splurge on the holidays, like I'm going to go off of keto, whatever, and you could attribute any mood changes after that to feeling guilty, feeling like you fell off the wagon, that kind of thing. But I knew it wasn't that mm -hmm. because I had gone into this experiment like I know I'm going to be doing this. This isn't a moral failure. I'm doing it to get data that I really want to have. So I had no reason to feel guilty. And I didn't feel guilty. I wasn't feeling bad because of that. And like, sure, I had gained some weight, but I knew that that was going to happen going in. And I figured I'd just lose it again after a big deal. But I was still having these mood effects. And it was so bizarre. And I had like a chain of things to do right after that experiment. So I had one conference where I ended up randomly crying for no reason on the balcony. <laughs> there was, like, no trigger for it whatsoever. Mm. Um, and then I also had Keto Fest at that same time where I was giving a presentation. And now, like, looking back on that presentation, it's one of my favorite ones that I've done. But at the time, it was like, oh, man, I really messed that up. Oh, it was terrible. Nobody got what I was talking about, whatever. But at the same time, people were coming up and being like, I'm so glad you were talking about this topic. I It helped explain so many questions I had, whatever. And I, because of my history, I have, you know, this ability to self-analyze because I've just been doing it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it's like you can analyze what's happening in your environment and you can analyze your own reaction in your head and you can be like, these two this isn't lining up at all. Like, my reaction is not reflecting reality, and so something else is going on. Hmm. And that was for two months after. And even after the two months, I still had, you know, I was just more unstable than usual. I was having social anxiety again. And at first I was attributing it to like, okay, I moved from my parents' house for pretty much the first time. I'm surrounded by people I'm not used to interacting with. Maybe it's just that. But I started reading back through my journal and there were entries like this morning. I just got up and started crying and I don't know why. It's like, okay, something else is going on. And uh, this was up to a year after that experiment. A year. Wow. Yeah, a year. <laughs> a year. And it wasn't as bad as during or immediately after, but it was something wasn't right. And the other thing is, I did gain weight during that experiment. I expected to gain maybe five, you know, eight pounds. I gained 17 pounds. You can do the math and the kilos on that one if you want. Like eight kilos, I think it would be pretty close to eight kilos. 
And then I expected, okay, I'm going to gain during the experiment, and then I'm going to lose it, right? Uh, I didn't lose the weight for a year. I was still nearly 20 pounds up for the year after that experiment, and let me tell you, I did (laughs) some people (laughs) let me know about it. Um, And it's like, yeah, I did this experiment, but it... At that point, it kind of was like, okay, why isn't this resolving itself? Like, I'm doing keto. I'm doing carnivore. I'm even doing high-fat carnivore, which I had found was working really well for me before I had done high-carb. And then, you know, here it is. And the worst, the absolute worst thing is immediately before the high-carb experiment, I had done a a three-and-a-half-week experiment where I was doing high-fat carnivore. And it was something I had seen going around the Twitter sphere. And I was like, okay, I want to try it. And I lost weight from that to where I was eating fat first, you know, mm-hmm. beef fat trim, and then ribeye steak after that. And I had lost weight on that. I had gotten down to the lowest weight I had ever had since I was like a child. And then it was like, okay, I'm on a limited time schedule here. I have to regain that weight. Um, so I just went back to higher protein carnivore, regained it all back. And uh, and I needed to get back to my original weight because I needed to be weight stable for the high carb experiment. So I got back to my original weight before I had done the high fat carnivore experiment. And then immediately after that, I did the high carb experiment and gained an additional 17 pounds. And so it went from lowest adult weight to like before, like the weight I was before I even went carnivore in general almost. And that is very disheartening (laughs) but at the same time it was like i did this experiment on purpose it's not you know a moral failure i didn't do anything wrong but it was confusing because it's like why isn't this fixing itself and it was actually a couple months ago where for some reason i was like you know i've done no dairy before but i want to try it again just you know to see because who knows Sometimes switching things up in general can help. And so I did this series of really short experiments just to see if it was having any impact on appetite. Because it's like, if I'm maintaining this weight, I must have some issue with appetite or something. And something, essentially something has to be interfering with my appetite in order for me to be maintaining this weight and not losing. Mm. And so I did, you know, a stretch of absolutely no dairy, so... Uh, For my fat, I was having, like, pickled pork fat, which isn't as gross as it sounds. (laughs) And all of a sudden, it was like, I was full of energy after the meal. I was eating less compared to what I was doing before, but it was pretty much exactly the same. And for this set of experiments, I wanted to keep it controlled. So I had hamburger patties cooked exactly the same way every single time, the same drink every single time with the meal, the same meal timing. And the only difference was on one, I had butter with the burgers. And then on these experimental intervention days, I had butter and half an ounce of cheese. And then the next time it was two ounces of cheese. And with the half ounce of cheese, my energy after the meal was kind of flatline. So there was no change instead of having more energy. With the no dairy, my mood would be better after eating and here it was the same um i was eating more when i added even just the half ounce of dairy so i wasn't getting that satiation like oh i can't eat another bite kind of sensation that was gone and then when i did the two ounces of dairy all that happened and then i also got hungry later in the day which was kind of unusual and i ended up dairy binging (laughs) And then the very next day, I had this, like, horrible just mood crash, like, everything sucks kind of thing. It was like, okay, (laughs) so we're not going to be eating dairy anymore. But the interesting thing is, before the high-carb experiment, I had no issues with dairy. I had done a month without dairy before, and it was fine. I didn't crave it. I didn't binge on it. I could get full on it. I mean, the entire first year of carnivore for me was pork chops and cream cheese cheese. and it was fine i was losing weight i was getting full and it's just like this context change after the high carb experiment and i was talking to dave during a meeting about 
how I had found that I'm now having these issues with dairy. And he was like, what did you eat immediately after the high-carb experiment? I was like, oh, it was high-fat carnivore with dairy. It's <laughs> like, so one exper experience that I've had is in 2018, I had gotten an office bug. And while sick, you know, vomiting, all this, like, really bad stuff, I had been eating homemade egg drop soup with partially cooked eggs. And immediately after that, um, I was starting to get really violently ill from eating certain things, and I had to go through this whole thing of figuring out what it was, and it was eggs. And so I went to the doctor and got tested, and he's like, you have an egg allergy. Actually, I was like, I think I have an egg allergy. And he's like, you don't have an egg allergy. That doesn't really happen that often for it to develop in adulthood. And then we did the test, and he's like, you have an egg allergy. <laughs> it was like, okay, thanks. So I already know that at least in that scenario, what seems to have happened is I created this really bad environment by getting sick. And at the same time, I was eating this thing in that context. And it's possible that, you know, just speculating wildly, because we don't really know how allergies work that well. Mm -hmm. It's possible that immune cells saw the egg protein and were like, oh, okay, so we're having a really bad problem uh, and you're around. Maybe you're the problem. <laughs> and then developed an allergy towards it, mistakenly thinking um, it was harmful. Mm. And I'm wondering if something similar, not exactly the same, because it's not a full-blown allergy, as far as I'm aware. Um, I don't have any of the same symptoms, and it's not as severe. It mostly seems to be impacting appetite and things like that. I wonder if sort of the same thing has happened now with dairy, to where the context has changed because there's sort of a bleed-over of the context from high-carb where my insulin was really high and clearly it was having already impacts on my mood and things like that. And, you know, my immune cells saw the dairy with this bleed over context and was like, hmm, maybe you're the problem. And yeah, so I don't think it's a full-blown allergy, but I wonder if it's just a hopefully temporary intolerance just because of this weird, confused context that happened. And I have heard of other people suddenly becoming intolerant to dairy and they don't know why but they went through this thing that happened and suddenly they're having these issues or they're already in a bad health context recovering from autoimmunity or diabetes or something and they find that dairy does stall them in fact it's super common mm -hmm. um one of the most common things i come across in people who are mm -hmm. stalled is like i took out dairy or the other one is i took out nuts, nuts. Yeah. and it's like and i started losing weight again mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I wonder if it's just some sort of intolerance where dairy is essentially acting as an irritant. And, I mean, irritation can cause inflammation as part of the healing and defense response. And inflammation can lead to things like disrupted insulin resistance, that type of stuff. I mean, you can inject people with one of these signaling proteins that result in inflammation and you can make them more glucose intolerant. That's a thing <laughs> that mm. happens. It's part of the immune mm. response. And another thing that can happen is when you're sick, you can also become temporarily pathologically insulin resistant to where, you know, someone in extremely severe infection, say they have sepsis or something, they can display disrupted glucose tolerance, high triglycerides, lower HDL, like all the type of things you'd see in diabetes, but it's from this infection and it's part of this integrated in immune response. It's, you know, you could call it intentional, but insulin is stimulatory towards immune cells. It helps them kind of gives them a little bit of a boost. Um, and it's potentially why you see insulin go higher in infection sometimes. And then the insulin resistance does result in high triglycerides and all that type of stuff. But the lipoproteins that are carrying the triglycerides can, you know, attach themselves to pathogens to neutralize them. They can attach themselves to toxins that the pathogens release um, that can cause an inflammatory reaction and they'll kind of stick to them like Velcro. And then immune cells will eat up the whole bundle and, you know, you have lower level of inflammation from that. That's from animal studies and things like that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it were the same in humans. And so on the one hand, you have... You know, something that we often consider as bad, pathological insulin resistance, but there is a context where it seems kind of appropriate to orchestrate all these differences in 
metabolism and energy metabolism, substrate metabolism, where it actually helps us fight off infection. Or in, you know, the same thing will happen if you get extremely severe burns. There was this one study where they looked at people with, you know, widespread third degree burns and they showed lower glucose tolerance. So they were a bit insulin resistant and they tracked them over the course of years and it took them three years to return to normal. So it looks as if it's possible that pathological insulin resistance may be part of our inflammatory and healing response and it may not go away until, you know, the injury is completely repaired or the irritant is completely taken away. Mm, so, yeah, I have seen other people um, who, you know, April is one person who comes to mm. mind. She was on a ketogenic diet for over two years. She had tried carnivore and she was still diabetic. She wasn't losing any weight. Um, she had gotten blood work and showed me the results and it was like she wasn't on a ketogenic diet. Her insulin was high, her triglycerides were high, inflammation was high, and she ended up going high-fat carnivore and started seeing all of that resolve. And this is, like, something I think about a lot. <laughs> like, why did this happen? Mm -hmm. First of all, why didn't she see resolution on a ketogenic mm -hmm. diet? Is it possible that she was, you know, like me and dairy, she was eating something that was an irritant, that was kind of leading to this dealing with irritation pathway of inflammation and sustaining insulin resistance and all this stuff. And she took that away and then supplied mm -hmm. extra energy because, as we know, if your insulin is high, you may not be able to as readily use your own body fat for energy. And so you're hungry. And it's one of the things she commented on. She wasn't able to you know, fast for a long period mm -hmm. of time because she just gets so hungry and feels so awful. And for her, like, yeah, she was, you know, I think she said like 300 pounds or something. But if you're hungry, like you can't, that it's really hard to ignore. And so her thing ended up being, you know, eat butter, <laughs> like a stick of butter per day plus ground beef. Um, I don't even think she was doing spices or anything like that. And that ended up being the key. And I wonder if part of it is just you know, the extremely low irritant, but then also supplying energy when you're in that time where you may not be able to access your own stores. I mean, it's something that two keto dudes have been saying for ages and ages, which is like, you know, eat to satiety. Your body knows how much energy you're going to need. That's what appetite is. Mm. And for me, it's why if something is disrupting my appetite, it just has to go because I don't find that a good sign. Whatever the reason is, I don't... <laughs> like, in what situation is a food that makes it so I can't regulate my own food intake is a good thing. It's just, I don't know <laughs> that it exists. Yeah. So I ended up having to cut dairy, but on the plus side, I have lost, you know, like, I think, uh, like five kilos, um, from that and still losing. And another thing that will kind of stall weight loss, it won't make me gain like dairy will is like a lot of the spicier spices, if I eat them for multiple days in a row, it'll start impacting my mood. And then I'll also gain like two pounds and then just stay there. And I wonder if that's just another irritation thing. <laughs> it's really bothersome. And granted, all of this, for the most part, is speculation on my part for why this is happening. But so far, it makes sense. And it seems to be lining up with what I'm seeing in myself and other people. And it'd be really interesting if it were true. And it would help answer you know, some of the questions of why does carnivore seem to work better for people over keto at times? I mean, there are many things that are tied into inflammation and insulin resistance, you know, autoimmune conditions, depression, mood disorders, all this stuff. And if food can impact all of that, then it makes sense why someone may not see something resolve, even though they're eating perfectly keto and feeling, you know, okay for the most part, maybe lost a little weight, but their psoriasis isn't resolving or whatever. And then they go carnivore and suddenly it does. It's like, okay, what's that about? Mm. You know, you're supplying good material, presumably. Um, it's really low irritant. And, you know, if you supply enough energy, maybe that's what you need along with time. It's what I was talking about at my KetoFest presentation. 
just the overlap between insulin resistance and dealing with irritation and injury. Sometimes you do need a specific environment to come back from that, it seems. Even Sarah Hallberg, who works with FERTA, had said in diabetics that she works with, people who've been diabetic for you know over a decade or two decades, sometimes they won't be able to come off their medication for several years. Even though they're compliant, they can see that they're compliant. They ask them what they're eating. They're, you know, doing the thing, but it's, it's just it takes time, the time for the body to heal. Yeah. Mm. Definitely, exactly. I think that may be what's happening for them. Is just you know you have decades and decades and decades of a diet that worsened your health. How long is that going to take to recover from? Probably not a week. No. Maybe not a even a month, a year, a couple you'd years. Think even you know, it's going to feasibly it would take the same amount of time as it took you to get there yeah i mean potentially i don't know that i've seen anyone who needed you know 50 years to come back from a bad diet but you know a couple years sure but at times you know there's a specific environment that they need to achieve that whether it's keto or just low carb or carnivore or high fat carnivore no dairy no spices what there's just so many different tweaks and that's the thing that I've been doing over the past, goodness, four years now, um, is just tweaking. Like, I do a thing, and then, you know, I stall out, or there's some other issue that's not resolved yet, or I do something and make things worse again. And then I just go back to tweaking. Like, okay, I know I've already tried this once, but let's try it again, just in case something has changed. Yep. Or let's try this totally different thing. Let's try eating fat first until I'm full and then protein. So that was the high-fat carnivore experiment. Okay, oh, this is like a lot better. And it's just a process of, you know, trying different things and sticking with what works. And, you know, eventually there will be more tweaking down the road of if I get to where I feel is a really good place health-wise, I may try adding dairy back in and see if the context has changed enough to where I can have it again. I think that's possible. I've heard of other people getting to excellent health and then some of the things they were sensitive to before they no longer are. So it's just <laughs> like, I don't know most things yeah. <laughs> that are going into this, but at least I can experiment and see what happens and hopefully share that with other people to where it's like, okay, maybe you've been through something similar and you're now experiencing issues and you don't know why. Have you tried doing this thing that I've tried or... Have you tried doing this thing that this other person has tried? Like, there's so many different variations of keto. Yeah, so many. And it's great because it gives people options of what to experiment with. So when you say high-fat carnivore and you eat the fat first, I'm always curious as to what the fat is that you eat. Yeah, it depends on preference mostly. I find that all sometimes have times of like oh i really want this particular type of fat and then other times it's like oh that's not appealing i don't want that anymore so pickled pork fat was one thing and it's not pickled with the spices that are typically used for pickles what i actually use is um cloves and cinnamon and ginger so it's more like a christmas spice and the thing with pickled pork fat is The pork fat is, it doesn't really have a strong flavor. So it's kind of like tofu, (laughs) where it just picks up the flavor of whatever you're marinating it in. Mm -hmm. So I'll just like eat that with a spoon. And I had one spice combination that made it taste kind of like applesauce, which I enjoy if it's pork fat. (laughs) So I'll do that. Or one thing I like to do is I'll get these frozen basically just burger patties and it's 70 30 so it's really high fat and then i'll cook those in the air fryer and then i'll put butter on top of every single bite so pretty close to what april was doing Mm -hmm. um sometimes i'll do that uh other times i'll get cured meat there's a butcher in town called black belly that i would highly recommend if you're ever in town and they home make all of their cured meats so i'll get like lardo or pancetta or something like that And usually there aren't many spices on that, if any, Um, so I can just comfortably eat that. And yeah, sometimes it'll just be the fat on meat. So they also sell these pork chops that have a uh, fat cap that's like this thick. (laughs) I'll just eat that part first. Yeah. So there's 
plenty of options. Um, I've also eaten beef trim just raw. Uh, I have a friend who also does high-fat carnivore who will take suet, which is like the Mm. fat around the kidneys and things like that. And they'll slightly warm it up and put it on top of burgers so it's almost like a cheese topping with the consistency. Mm. <laughs> Louise is making a face. Yeah, I haven't I, tried it yet, but I suspect it's actually pretty good. Just... Like, I do have texture issues with food. So one reason I like the pork chops from Black Belly is that I suspect the fat is much more saturated. So when you heat it up, it doesn't go all, like, gooey and gross because the texture of liquid fat can really it'll like trigger my gag reflex (laughs) so the more saturated fat the better for me just texture wise um if i'm cooking it and the texture for pork fat is also really good for pickling because lamb and beef fat is very Mm. like it pulls apart in strands almost and it's just weird (laughs) Uh, pork fat is much more like just little cubes of gelatin. It has a very smooth texture, which I like. Yeah. So when you when you pickle it, you put it in with your spices. What else do you put in with it? So the pickling uh, brine is just apple cider vinegar um, to give it more of that Christmassy taste. And then the spices and the pork fat chopped up into little cubes, uh, maybe like one and a half centimeters by one and a half centimeters or something. Um, so really small, and then it's cooked. Yeah, that's it. And I just water and salt, vinegar. It'd be a vinegar and a salt brine, and then obviously you've got the spices. Yeah. So maybe would that be like a pepper or a um, a bay leaf? So the spices that I use are the clove, the cinnamon, Lime. and the ginger. Mm-hmm. And when I'm pickling the pork fat, I don't cook the fat first. You don't. Um, it's just raw oh. pork fat, mm-hmm. and then it'll pickle and get this really nice texture to it after in the fridge for a day or so and i don't add salt to it for one i don't generally eat much salt anyway anymore but yeah the vinegar seems to do a pretty good job of curing it and yeah so that's kind of something i'll make if i can get my hands on pork fat another thing i'll eat is uh pemmican yeah so i don't hand make my pemmican because i'm lazy and too busy um, so I'll just buy a commercial pemmican. The one that I buy is Carnivore Bar. Um, that's actually where this shirt comes from. And so pemmican is basically you take beef jerky and you powder it. And then you mix it with tallow. And uh, the carnivore bars are in this sort of bar form. But pemmican can also come in like a more sludgy form, <laughs> depending on how you make it. So I'll eat those. Hmm. And... Yeah, butter, uh, ghee sometimes. I'll put butter or ghee in my tea. I didn't today just because I wasn't hungry. Yeah, Yeah, I I could live on butter, but I'm not sure about the raw beef fat. I did buy some and try it, and it just (laughs) didn't like that. Yeah, so for me, I don't... After a while of eating it, because the raw beef fat is what I was eating for the high-fat carnivore experiment, which was like three and a half weeks... And after a while of eating it, I noticed it started to taste kind of sweet. And that's something I've noticed with fat now is it'll taste sweet. Mm. And so for me, it became almost like eating a buttery, sweet candy. And yeah, I just really like it. It also depends largely probably on the quality of the fat and, you know, where you're sourcing it from, whatever, any number of things. Yeah. So what I've noticed, obviously, having moved now to, to Bangkok, Thailand, is obviously there's a change in, in the meat varieties here, and predominantly which is chicken, pork, and fish. So obviously come from Australia where there's lots of beef and lamb. And having had my periods of carnivory, and obviously when I was in the UK, I had access to beef and lamb, I just felt so much more satiated eating beef and lamb and because we're predominantly chicken and pork here um, with some fish like salmon or bass that sort of thing it's really yeah I've really noticed how much more hungrier I am just on chicken and pork would that be because as you're saying about the fat the type of fat the type and the nature of the structures the saturation of the fat it's definitely possible 
So one thing I've been reading more into recently is this guy's blog, fireinabottle.net is the blog, and he talks about essentially Peter of Hyperlipid's proton theory, uh, which Mike Eads did a presentation on at Low Carb Breckenridge also. And it's essentially talking about cellular insulin resistance, but it's not that's not the same thing as pathological insulin resistance that is associated with diabetes and stuff. Rather, essentially what can happen is the cell can take up fatty acids for use as fuel, and then because it's doing that, it refuses glucose because it doesn't need it. And that's essentially insulin resistance. I mean, it is insulin resistance. It's just a type that's used for regulating what fuel it's using. And one thing that was brought up is that different types of fat result in different levels of cellular insulin resistance, which another way to think of cellular insulin resistance is like cell satiety. So it's like, I'm full, I'm not going to take in any more energy. And saturated fat causes this cell satiety at a much higher level than, say, polyunsaturated fat. And so the guy who runs the blog, Brad, he was talking about how saturated fat may provide more satiety because it's inducing the cellular insulin resistance where, you know, you're kind of, your cells are able to dictate their energy a little bit better. And uh, one thing he pointed to, for example, was a study in mice where they put them on a low-carb diet in both arms. In one, the fat was coming from, I think, lard. And in another, the fat was coming from soybean oil or something like that. And the soybean oil was obviously very high PUFA. And what happened in the rats is they overate. And they think they were overeating because they were actually going hypoglycemic. So one thing that can happen in a low-carb diet context is you become physiologically insulin resistant, which is essentially the cellular insulin resistance on a whole body level. So your muscle is taking up the fatty acids and they're saying, I don't need glucose, you keep it for the brain. But in the mice with the very high PUFA diet, that wasn't happening properly. And so their muscles were still taking up glucose. So their glucose was going really low and that would trigger hunger. And so I'm wondering if that may be what's happening with you in the pork. I mean, I don't know for sure. But one thing that happens with pork and chicken that doesn't happen with cows because of how their digestion works is whatever fat they eat is pretty much the fat they'll put on. And often, I don't know about in Thailand, but at least here, pork and chicken feed is often, you know, soybean oil is added to it, mm. which is higher PUFA. So one possibility, I don't know how to test it except maybe add saturated fat to your diet. I mean, it's not medical or dietary advice. I would just be <laughs> curious as to what that would do. I mean, if you can't do dairy or even like butter or anything like that, cocoa butter is one option that's high in saturated fat. And you can put that in tea and it sort of makes it into a hot chocolate if you yeah. emulsify it. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you just have to eat more butter, Louise. Well, well <laughs> yeah. after after Siobhan's, you know, she's scaring me by saying this whole no dairy, you know, like, that just would be the... <laughs> I tried yeah, that's, that. I'm not going there. Yeah, I know you so did a month, didn't I you? Did, I did do a month, and that first couple of weeks, because of, of, I learned about the caseomorphins, you know, and how that sort of gives you that dairy high, and I went through uh -huh. this dairy withdrawal, and it was horrible like the first two weeks of no dairy and the thing was because obviously I drink a lot of coffee and if I didn't have cream in my coffee then I had to try and find you know almond milk macadamia milk but it's just you know it's not milk um uh -huh. so yeah the substitutes was really that was hard work for for no dairy but when I actually like you when you have that sort of period of actually reintroducing it because I didn't actually feel that I gained anything. I didn't lose any weight. What was the benefits apart from this most horrendous two weeks of withdrawal? And <laughs> I was in the UK and it meant a whole month of no clotted cream, no yogurts, no butter, no delicious, you know, deliciousness. But anyway. But is butter I, dairy? It is. Come no. on. It technically is. It it's, is. it's usually well tolerated. <laughs> 
So I think, for me at least, what I'm probably getting irritation from is the dairy protein. Correct. And butter doesn't have very much of it, and ghee even less so. Even less. Um, So both of those are well tolerated and seem to generally be well tolerated even in people who can't eat dairy. But, I mean, there are some people, I'm sure, who can't eat butter either, and that would suck. But, that's, sad. but no. that's that's the thing about hard cheeses. So hard cheeses has that less that less the dairy protein. But obviously we mm-hmm. are actually having it in you know like yogurts where it's obviously still quite quite present. It's not that hard hard in cheeses. But when I was reintroducing it, I re- I noticed definitely less. I I had less less consumption. So I certainly didn't have the block of cheese or. I, and I was just obviously having cream mostly in my coffee. Mm-hmm. But I've, yeah, been, and I've been making fresh cheese in lockdown. That's been my lockdown activity. Some people, you know, have learned a, a musical instrument or a language, but I learned how to make <laughs> fresh cheese. So I mean, cheese making is a good skill to have, so I definitely improved. And the thing with the dairy and the saturated fat and carnivory and basically everything, like if I do something, I'm not saying everybody else should do it. And it doesn't mean you should be terrified into doing it. I mean, you can try it and see. But I've had periods of, you know, doing a month of no dairy, and I saw no particular improvement at all. I was like, okay, then dairy is fine for me. So largely, things can be individual. It may depend on the context of the person, the history of the person, where they're at health-wise. Probably a bunch of factors we're not even aware of yet. And I mean, there's always a potential benefit from trying things, but... If you're already in a good spot, why change things? Mm. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Um, I'll sometimes have people be like, should I try carnivory? And it's like, I mean, do you want to? <laughs> Is there anything you're trying to resolve? Because if it doesn't sound appealing and you're already kind of where you want to be, I mean, why bother? I mean, sure, it's an interesting experiment and it can be fun. And maybe you'll find an unexpected benefit that you weren't even aware it was an issue you had before i don't know but i mean some people don't need it that's the thing uh and that's fine (laughs) some people can eat dairy if i could eat dairy without gaining weight i would be having it every single day and i would probably be having it with every single meal and i would be having heavy cream and clotted cream and cream friche and all these different things. Cream I, cheese. Well, yeah, absolutely. But you, were eating, cheese. but you were eating your pork chops with with cream cheese. And so what's what what are you eating? What what does your normal, regular, sort of everyday consumption look like? So right now it depends. I tend to go through phases where I'll be like really obsessed with one particular food and then I'll kind of move away from it. So currently I've been really enjoying these frozen burger patties, like I mentioned, they're just from like King Supers or whatever, nothing fancy, but they're 70-30 burger patties, so they're high fat already, and then I add butter on top, and I mean, that will be all I'll eat in a day. Um, other times, I'll eat pork chops from Black Belly or cured meats from Black Belly. I mean, my diet isn't particularly diverse. Sometimes I'll make chicken wings in the air fryer. I have bone broth that's currently going. In the Instant Pot, which is good. I did have dairy a couple days ago. <laughs> the first first time in like a month or something. And I did gain weight from it, but from what I've noticed, it'll start coming off after a week. So it's like, whatever. I made an informed decision. But I did that because I was working on a recipe that I had been thinking about, but hadn't quite finished yet. Uh, and it was bone marrow panna cotta, <laughs> which mm. is... So you roast bone marrow, and then you take the fat from the bone marrow, and you roast spices in it. So it's, I mean my typical spices, it's like cinnamon, cardamom, I think something else. I have the recipe on my website in case people want it. So once the spices are all roasted and smelling really good, then you add the cream, some vanilla extract, some sweetener. I used a powdered swerve just because it goes well with things that are heated and then reset. Like with erythritol, it can crystallize and be kind of weird. And then you add gelatin and you mix it with the roasted bone marrow with an immersion blender so it gets really smooth. You strain it to get any like weird pieces out. 
Um, and then you put it into molds and you refrigerate it like overnight. And it's super delicious. <laughs> I would eat that quite often if I could. I actually made two versions. One was with cocoa butter, which gives it more of a chocolatey taste, and one without the cocoa butter, so just the spices. And I was talking to Amber, and I was like, this reminds me of something. The cinnamon-only version um, without the cocoa butter reminds me of something. And I had this really sudden flashback to when I was a kid, <laughs> like in kindergarten, and very occasionally, mom would get me these, like, like a cinnamon roll, mini cinnamon rolls from Burger King that you would dip into this, like, frosting. <laughs> it's horribly unhealthy. But it reminded me of that, but in panna cotta form, like, that exact cinnamon roll and creamy flavor. It's like, oh. <laughs> so, um, I put that <laughs> recipe up. And uh, another thing is we had a guest over not too long ago um, who was in town and he made, I think it's called Menudo. Um, it's a, I'm pretty sure um, a traditional Mexican dish that is tripe and beef tongue in this really fatty emulsified thickened broth. And it was so good. Traditionally, Menudo has like a spice chili garlic mix in it. But he actually made it so that that was left out and you could add it in if you wanted. So the carnivores could have it comfortably. It was so good. I'm pretty sure we have leftovers. So yeah, bone broth, um, occasionally special dishes like the Menudo or whatever like that. Burger patties, chicken wings, pork chops. That's pretty much my typical and I'll also add butter to tea occasionally because I like it and it's filling and it's a way to get more fat in. So yeah, that's pretty much my daily eating. And sometimes I'll eat fish. I went through like a period where I was really craving oysters for some reason. So I ordered like 12 cans of boiled oysters and just ate them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes I'll have weird cravings. I like smoked salmon. Oh, I like roasted brain. Like, lamb brain is what we typically get. We have an entire section of the freezer that's just brain. <laughs> and we've made ice cream with that before. Uh, we called it brain freeze. <laughs> um, because typically with ice cream, you'd make, like, a custard base, right? Yeah. But that requires eggs. And I'm allergic to eggs. So I was like, brain kind of has, like, an egg yolky texture. I wonder if you can make ice cream with it. And it turns out that, yes, you can emulsify cream with brain. And it'll make this sort of custard, and then you can just put it into an ice cream maker, and you have ice cream. I would have to tell, like, Carrie Brown, get her onto making <laughs> brain freeze with yeah. Carrie Brown's ice cream. Make, it definitely <laughs> has a distinctive brain flavor, but we did try a version that had, uh, like, vanilla and sweetener in it, and tasted like ice cream, pretty much. I don't often, like, cook very adventurous things, just because I don't really enjoy it that much. So it's like, if I can find something that's the least effort possible mm. and the quickest, which is usually the air fryer or the Instant Pot, that's I I don't even remember the last time I used a stove. Mm. Probably to make the panna cotta. <laughs> that's mm. about it. So you started out um, on keto. At that point, before you went to Carnival, what benefits did you notice from going from your standard American diet to keto? Yeah, so the biggest one was definitely the chronic depression going into remission. And something that Georgia Eid has talked about is also that nutrition can really impact your mental well-being. And even if it doesn't resolve the issue itself, it can give you the mental stability to work on the remaining issues. So I had, you know, the social anxiety that I was suddenly able to get myself to work through and really push myself to resolve and practice social interaction and teach myself I'm not like constantly bugging people probably the other thing is I had like PTSD from some experiences that I had and I was able to work through that a lot better and even more so on carnivore actually and let's see um I had you know the eczema uh between my fingers and on my feet particularly and probably also on my scalp. I think that's what was causing the dandruff. That went away. I still have a little bit of keratosis polaris on my arms, but it's like hardly even noticeable compared to what it was like before. 
Um, before it was just like angry and red and I mean, obviously irritated. I lost uh, 80 or so pounds, technically 100 pounds for my highest. Although I'm now I'm about to that point again um, after getting rid of dairy. Uh, let's see. I yeah, I started sleeping better. My appetite was under control. I mean, because you would think, based off of what I said before, of not really physically enjoying food, like, okay, then why were you 240 pounds? And it's because I was hungry all the time. And with keto, within a couple weeks, I was able to, you know, skip meals. I just wasn't hungry. Eventually, I started being able to fast again. It was just awesomeness. Energy levels, so much better. Able to concentrate. Yeah, so basically just improvement in every area. I'm sure I'm forgetting things. I had chronic joint and back pain that completely went away. Mm. Yeah, everything. <laughs> Life then, changed forever. And then, and then obviously from keto to carnivore, you had more weight loss. You've had mood stabilization. Anything else? Yeah, my hair actually got a lot better. So with keto, that's one of the first things that people noticed is my sister went, is your hair less frizzy than usual? <laughs> Like, um, I don't know. But I looked at pictures and yes, indeed. And when I went carnivore, it improved even more. Um, it got much more shiny and glossy and healthy. So that was awesome because I would always like watch the shampoo or conditioner con commercials and be like, oh man, I wish I had hair like that. And it's much closer to that now where it's like actually healthy looking hair. My skin improved with carnivore above keto, so there was some improvement and then additional improvement. Food enjoyment improved. So it was just like, took things from like an 8 or a 9, just up to a 10, pretty much. Mm. Blood markers have all improved, both on keto and carnivore. I was actually kind of lucky I went to see that doctor in New York because it means it meant that I had baseline blood work to look at from like my worst health point. I have blood work from then. And mm. it's, it doesn't include like insulin, which I would have been really curious to see, but it was mm. 12 to 14 hours fasted. I remember distinctly really struggling to not eat for 12 hours, even though most of it was when I was sleeping. And it wasn't super horrible. My current doctor looked at it and said, based off of the results, I probably had fatty liver, but my doctor at the time didn't point it out. And uh, that's, fine now my liver is healthy as can be apparently <laughs> right so yeah basically just improvements in every area mental health physical health skin hair weight appetite food enjoyment just everything i'm happy i'm very happy Excellent. that's good where can people get in contact with you i know that you're very active on twitter and um, yeah <laughs> yes so you have a big twitter following and a big twitter presence so um where can people contact you? Yeah, so I'm definitely most active on Twitter, just socially. Um, so that is at Siobhan underscore Huggins. Please put that in the show notes so people don't have to try and yeah, spell yeah. it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I also admin two Facebook groups. There's the Cholesterol Code Facebook group. That's just talking about general cholesterol stuff, crossover with immunology, all that type of stuff. Um, and then there's also the Lean Mass Hyperresponder Facebook group, which is still growing, still lots of lean mass hyperresponders there discussing risk, discussing the science, discussing their own opinions and experiences, which is really cool. You can also find me on cholesterolcode.com. Um, if you have like cholesterol related questions, just in general, it's best put there because I check them every day and respond to every single comment that is asking anything. Either Dave or I will respond I also have a side blog where I put my, I think I have like two recipes on there, but also other blog posts on general stuff like insulin resistance and inflammation and things like that, which is dendritica.home.blog. I think that's everything. At some point in the unpredictable future, I'm sure you'll see me at conferences again. Um, I do have some presentations already. You can find mm. pretty much all of them on YouTube if you wanted to watch them. Yeah. And I also have articles on cholesterol code as well. Yeah, we'll definitely um, have those links in the show notes for the, for the listeners. And I think we really appreciate your time 
And I know that this is going to be stretching over well the two episodes. So we're very grateful for you sticking with us and having a chat. And I know that we ask our our guests to really sort of give us those top three tips. You know, if we were starting out on our low carb keto carnivore journey, what would they be? Yeah. So number one, get your baselines as soon as possible. <laughs> we actually have a post on cholesterol code who are like, I want to get baselines, but I don't know what to test. Um, if you go to cholesterolcode.com slash labs, we actually have a list of our favorites and we have it separated into sections. That's like biggest bang for your buck. If you're on a budget and you just want a good overview, we have one of those. And then like a full wide spectrum in case you just want everything Um, So we have that. Other baselines like CIMT and carotid Doppler are all awesome as well. Uh, Tip number two, never stop experimenting. Um, Even retry things if you've tried it before. Like I was fine with dairy before and now I'm not. Um, Sometimes it helps to mix things up. I've done so many different things over the past four years from like egg fasting for eight days to water only fasting I even recently included uh, weekly fasting again because my doctor said, you know, I see this works in my patients, so maybe you want to try it too. Um, just like one 36-hour fast every week. I'm like, okay, if you recommend it, I'll give it a try. And then tip number three, just do your research. <laughs> like if you're not sure about something, try and read many different perspectives. Try and analyze, like, does this logically make sense? Um, And if you're not sure how to do that yourself, find people who can help you with it. They're all over the place from, you know, Ivers active on Twitter, Iver Cummins, me and Dave are obviously active. There's so many people in the community and it's one of the awesomest things about the community is that if you have a question, people want to help you. And if you're trying to figure something out, reach out and ask, has anybody else gone through something like this before? What did you try? Um, what worked for you and it can you know regardless of what you're trying to work through just reach out to the community ask questions read the research and you know just keep going and talk to people about it it can really help it's helped me a lot for sure Mm -hmm. great thank you for coming on the show and yeah it's been really insightful thank you coming yeah thanks for having me on it was a lot of fun Thanks, that was just such an inspiring, well, two parts, two-part episode uh, with Siobhan. What did you make of it, Jackie? I thought it was absolutely fascinating and really intriguing how she's doing all these self-experiments, how she's doing ones that Dave had done and they're coming out slightly different, which just goes to show that we're all different and you just have to test things by yourself and see what works for you. And it's really interesting, obviously, as you said, between Dave being a male and herself being a female. And obviously these experiments have been done at times when, as she said, you know, she'd been unwell, which obviously changes, as it did, her immune system. Mm. And certainly putting her body on the line for science with not eating eggs and not eating dairy, I really obviously am not inspired, but I'm in awe of her um, commitment to follow through with with the experiments yeah and even that high carb experiment that she did and how it took so long to get back I mean I would never do that I couldn't I couldn't envisage my envisage myself going from where I am now back possibly back to where I was and then having to come all the way back again I don't think Mm. I would do it and that's why she's obviously in the keto rock star sort of royalty elite category that she is in terms of her contribution to the community, which, you know, already for, as we were saying, as a young lady, she's made such an impact on the keto sphere. And um, we wish her all the best in her continued contribution and putting her body on the line for the, for the keto community. So thank you, Siobhan, for being our guest. And you can find the podcast at www.fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash zero one seven. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com 
forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>